As teachers, we are known for being a jack or Jill of all trades. But on this podcast, we will introduce you to a master of one. Our podcast interviews awesome educators who have done some awesome research. And makes practical links so that you can use evidence and research-based approaches today in your classroom. Hi Tony. Hi Laws, how are you? Good, how are you? Oh good, just another day in the bubble. <laughs> it is indeed. I've got baby with me again, so we may hear some coughs and some coughs and sneezes. Nice. Hello, baby Ada. Nice to have you with us. But we have a more special guest with us today, and this is Gareth Hedden. Gareth has been teaching for seven years. Currently, he looks after the geography and social studies at Inglewood High School in the beautiful Taranaki. Gareth has been fortunate to be part of the exciting work that the Mine Lab do, and after being awarded their Expert Teacher Award and scholarship for their postgrad certificate program in 2015, carried on into a master's program. Gareth is a Google certified educator, trainer, and innovator, and loves to get his geek on in the GIS, Geographic Information Systems, champion for the Taranaki, Manawatu, and Whanganui region. Awesome. Welcome, Gareth. <laughs> Kia ora. Hey, awesome to, to, to be here, guys. Uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. Yay. In 30 seconds, can you summarize your thesis? On your marks, get set, go. Okay, please don't uh, don't keep me uh, don't keep the timer on too too rigidly. Look, I was really interested in my research in answering the question of how can we develop uh, metacognition in our in our learners and, and ultimately trying to help them to become lifelong learners. So there's a pretty strong answer to the question of what is metacognition and what does lifelong learning look like. And there's also a really strong answer to the question of why should we do it. Um, a couple of examples include that it really is, is known to be efficient and effective for our struggling learners and our, our sort of uh, our tail, so to speak, in this country. Uh, it's also really, really important as we um, are thrust into this knowledge age economy that students know how to learn and can regulate their learning. But what I found was that there's a, quite a weak answer to the question of how do we do it? Um, and, and that's a bit of a problem, I thought, because that means that there's this real divide at the moment between the theory of the literature around metacognition and, and the practice and how, how can teachers actually implement this research into their classroom. And, and so I was really interested in that. And one thing I came across pretty early on was that professional development is arguably the question of how we, how we solve it because we know that when PD's done well, it really results in, in this meaningful change to teacher practice. So then, of course, the question becomes, okay, well, how do we do PD effectively? And, and how do we do it effectively for pretty abstract things like developing uh, metacognition, self-regulation? And so my, my thesis really explored the most effective way of running that kind of PD to support teachers in developing uh, metacognition in their students. What I did really quickly, my time's probably already gone, um, <laughs> but I developed a quick little professional development program for, for some of the teachers in my school. And we started out by just looking at general 
general discussion around, you know, what is metacognition, why it's relevant for us. We, we unpacked what we currently do or don't do, and then we started to develop and trial different strategies and tasks that we could do, and then ask questions about, hey, look, was this PD meaningful? Did it work or didn't it, and, and why? So it sounds like your project took, or your master's took quite a, a journey to like where you wanted to actually get to. It was a massive journey and there were a few more destinations on it than, than perhaps any of us anticipated. Uh, but the journey is definitely a nice way of describing it for sure. This is very much the starting point looking at uh, teacher perceptions and, and teacher practices because we know that they have a very, very strong flow on effect into students but yeah the, the teaching and the PD was the starting point so that's the focus was the focus of the thesis yeah and how do we how do we you know these these ideas and concepts have been around for a while maybe maybe not so much in the digital sector like um what I what I focused on but you know metacognition I mean would you say that's a relatively new concept Gareth like from your findings well yeah that's it's an, an, a very interesting question because in one hand, it's quite a simple concept. It's essentially thinking about thinking, you know, and, and it does date all the way back to, to Socrates. But on the other hand, it, it is quite new in terms of how it's um, part of the vernacular of, of the teaching profession. And I, I guess it did have a bit of a renaissance in the 1970s and 80s. A guy called Flavel who talked a lot about it and spurred a lot of research since then. And it does come under a few different terms as well. There's a little bit of vagueness and ambiguity around the concept. So on one hand, it's really simple. And on another hand, it's quite abstract. And for whatever reason, it just hasn't really quite wrestled its way into, into our, our, our common vernacular. And I think that's a, bit of a, that's a bit of an issue from my perspective. Yeah, yeah. In particular, again, we're being a bit tough here. What are three key findings from your study? Yeah, now this, this is definitely a tough question. But uh, if I'm thinking about professional development, right, which is the main focus of, of the research and, and it's professional development for metacognition. So metacognition is sort of the, the vehicle, but PD is the destination. Um, a real big one that I, that I found is that autonomy for teachers participating in PD is, is absolutely crucial um, because that's going to mean that there's real meaningful change in their practice. So for a start, these teachers need to be engaging in a real authentic problem, you know, that they see in their own classroom, which means that um, like Tony, you found in your, in your research around professional development, you can't have a one size fits all model, you know, that sort of, one and done model is, is really seen its days when it comes to PD. But there's other, there's other components of autonomy which are really, really important. You know, things like teachers being able to develop their own metric of success, I think is really helpful. Them being active learners, uh, not just passive participants. And a reminder, a reminder that even though um, having an attitude can change our behaviour, so too can changing our behavior affect our attitude. So forcing, forcing us outside of our comfort zone as practitioners, I think is, is really, really important. And I think that comes under the autonomy umbrella um, mm -hmm. because we need to be reminded that we are the drivers of, of our own professional development, not so much 
an external facilitator. So I just wanted to interject and say, there's this amazing um, quote that I heard when I was first going to some of the Google EdTech uh, team summits, and I think it was Anthony Spranza, and he said, um, ready, fire, aim. Don't wait until your attitude's ready. You know, just just go for it, and, and you'll find that it might end up changing both behaviours and attitudes. So I love yeah. that. I hadn't, you know, I hadn't kind of thought about attitude shifts behavior but also behavior shifts attitude and yeah. yeah the sense so awesome kind of strike anyone else that um we kind of do these things in our classroom we know it's good practice and then when it comes to professional development with our teachers so, so much of it just seems to get lost and yeah. we forget that our teachers are learning and that those same principles kind of apply to them in terms of you know good learning and, and good teaching of teachers absolutely yeah, I, I often get frustrated when um, discussions about student engagement are only centred around um, points of interest because that's obviously really important. But you know what I think is equally important for student engagement is ownership. I think you can have students really engaged in something that they didn't necessarily previously think they'd be interested in because they own it, right? And yeah. teachers are the same. We're learners as well. So... Uh, ownership applies to us as well. And imagine if you just let kids choose what they were interested in. You know, how would you introduce kids to new stuff? And I think it's exactly. it's, not, it's not about the topic. I mean, it is about the topic, but it's not all about the topic. It's about those tools for engagement, isn't it? Whatever they might yeah. be. The topic is just a springboard, eh? Now, now interestingly, um, it, it might seem on, on the surface to sort of be contradictory, but another big finding I did find was the role of uh, facilitator or external expertise uh, in, in this process. And a similar thing to you, Tony, that this is pretty important, first of all, in just establishing a culture and, and relationships, because what, what happens as a result of all of that uh, professional discussion and validation and, and sharing of perspectives is that you you create this this culture of learning and uh, a safe space where people can really start to uh, discuss things critically, mm. and that was really really fundamental. And having having my role as a facilitator meant that I was not a superior to them. Right. So all of a sudden, it was not about performance. It was about learning which is exactly how it should be in our classrooms, right? But sometimes the whole assessment pressure sort of shifts that focus a little bit. And unfortunately, it can happen with PD as well. So by having a facilitator work in a, in a coaching role, um, I found that that was, that was an element that I got a lot of positive feedback on from the participants. And what it also meant is, of course, we were able to personalise the professional development that much more because mm. we had that working relationship. And again, it wasn't that one-size-fits-all model. Um, the third big finding that I, that I found was really that um, teachers need to be confident in their own metacognitive capacity themselves before being expected to teach and impart this onto their students. So what we found is that uh, as, a, as a group, as a collaborative inquiry group, is that we really needed to just pause for a moment and think, well, hang on, before we go and teach our kids about what metacognition is and how you can develop it uh, and why it's important, we actually need to be doing it ourselves. So we need to build our own awareness. We need to know um, a little bit about how we plan, monitor, and evaluate ourselves as learners. 
and um, and how our perceptions sort of shape shape what we do. And and what I what I um, did in my thesis is I made this jump to to any professional developments in general, because I firmly believe that regardless of topic, I think that PD should include an element of um, building this metacognitive awareness. And a lot of this is really, it's, it's nothing new when we look at the teaching as inquiry cycle, right? Or when we look at teaching as um, a process of critical reflection. Mm. But what we do have to do is we've got to make that process explicit to give it any kind of legs, you know, mm. to send the message that, hey, look, this is actually important. And reflection is not just something that should happen afterwards, right? We should be reflecting before, during, and after a learning event. And I think that that's kind of a big takeaway that I think we can consider in any PD, whether it's about metacognition or whether it's about science. Yeah, and I, I remember doing a spiral of inquiry model. Um, I'll try and remember who uh, whose that model was and I'll put it in the show notes. But um, and the first one's around like having a hunch and, and yep. being really honest about like how you're feeling. So, you know, why are we not teaching metacognition? Well, my hunch is that we actually don't fully understand it, you know, mm, yeah. and then able to be really reflective and be like, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. And a big part of it, one of the main, uh, not main, but a very effective strategy in teaching or developing your students metacognition is actually modeling your own thinking. So, Obviously, you can't do that if you're not aware of your own thinking, right? So we just need to take the time to be aware of it and take the time to consider what are these strategies that we do as an expert learner uh, mm. that we can make explicit to our students as they're learning. So interesting to hear you in the role of facilitator throughout this um, for, for your project, but also for your teachers. So how did that impact on you, on your practice, on your job, becoming that in that role? Um, well, I guess there was, a, there was a couple of different ways in which this, this affected my practice. The first one at a, at a personal level is it really helped me develop my own awareness of, in particular, the time that I would spend on, on things. And, and I'm, I'm always very explicit with my students about uh, what their learning intentions are and things for a lesson. But I found myself thinking, you know what, these, these intentions, these are always based around content ideas or hard skills, right? Um, how often am I actually uh, putting in these soft skills like this metacognition or even aspects of self-management into my learning intentions? So then I'm thinking, well, then how am I ever going to send the message to the students that this is important? So there was a lot of that development of awareness around that and the implicit messages I was, I was sending because those implicit messages, they really, they're quite powerful in, in developing a student's sort of schema and, and, and an understanding of what learning is. Mm. So it, it also helped me to appreciate um, how much groundwork we need to do, right? So there's no point starting to teach students about metacognition if they don't have a growth mindset. Right, so we'd need to stop and spend some time teaching them the science behind growth mindset, so that they can understand. Oh, look, I can learn to be a better learner, because that fundamental truth is not actually um, commonplace. You know, that's probably one that us teachers assume because we're expert learners. Mm. But 
But students who have only had a bad run in school, they've probably already made their mind up that they're, that they're not a good learner. And we've got to change that, that psyche. Um, so I, I definitely am trying to, to incorporate more of this explicitly in my teaching and not just metacognition, but all those, all those soft skills. Yeah. Um, and, and then kind of wearing another hat in terms of uh, a sort of leadership coaching sort of hat is the importance of really um, developing that culture that I spoke about earlier when working with a, with a little professional learning group and really making, making good efforts to make people feel uh, safe and comfortable in a space because if you don't put the mahi in to do that, then everything's going to just be a little bit contrived mm. or, or not really authentic enough to, yeah, to, people to shift. Up, people just end up ticking boxes, right? Like, oh, yep, I'll come and I'll say this and I'll bring along evidence of this, but actually is it truly authentic, like you say? I was just thinking about the um, key competencies in the curriculum and how that might kind of relate. And it's encouraging to see a lot of schools now kind of either explicitly put that in their planning where they haven't before or actually make it the starting point um, when they're planning a unit and kind of how that might relate. And it sort of links to what we're talking about with um, Tamara last episode around you know, she was talking about a move to concept-based um, curriculum and, and that huge focus on soft skills being the real core of it and then the, the content just sprinkles on top and comes out of that. And it's, it's so exciting from a primary school perspective to hear high schools making that shift because it's always sort of been our focus, you know, we're developing little people to be big, good big people you know so um it's cool to hear that it's carrying on now you know and there's not going to be such a jolt when they go to high school that it's like oh i've been learning how to be a good person and then all of a sudden i sit down at my desk and i learn reading writing and math and science and english all in tiny little chunk absolutely I, I personally believe we've got a lot in the secondary sector to learn from primary for that for that very reason and there's always been a temptation in secondary to read the curriculum document back to front right we go to the back we look at the achievement objectives broken down into subjects because we consider ourselves a, t a, a teacher of you know geography or science before we consider ourselves a teacher of lifelong learners and and so there's this really big mindset shift uh, going on, which, like you say, is really, really exciting because this concept of the lifelong learner that that appears right at the start of the curriculum, mm. you know, followed by these key competencies, which are fantastic. You know, we've really got a great curriculum document in that regard. So we should be reading it front to back. Just did you get any pushback from any of your teachers, kind of saying, "No, I'm a specialist. I don't teach the stuff. I teach X, Y, Z." Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question that I, I would probably start with a caveat and say that my participants were volunteers. And I think that, you know, that is a limitation of the study. That's something to bear in mind when I respond to questions like that. But in, in essence, I didn't find that sort of pushback directly. Um, there, there was, as there always, always will be when we're talking about this kind of thing, um, an issue with time, right? And that it's, it's requiring, um, more time and so if I can sort of repackage your question slightly I just want to I want to say that uh, I believe and and largely as a result of the the research I did that we can um, we can reconsider 
time. So rather than looking at things like this as something else to add on, we need to, to, to reimagine our perspective of time and think, well, how can I be spending my time in a way that's best enhancing student learning, right? Rather than ticking off the boxes. So it comes back to what you were saying before, Tony. And really building building things like our soft skills into our planning from the ground up and into our day, you know, is, is, is a really, I think, an easy way of overcoming that that time pushback issue. But it, it is a big shift, you know, and we've got to figure out how we can do it in small digestible steps so that people aren't put off and think, oh, this, this transformation, it's too big, it's too, you know, it's too massive. My favourite thing at the moment is to say, well, how do we eat an elephant one bite at a time? Yeah, I always like picturing the, the bloke who lay the first brick for the wall of China. Because that's how it started, right? Just one yeah. dude laying one brick on the ground. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to use that one too. If you could kind of point us to two things that you, or two pieces of literature that you think people should be reading, what are they? Uh, well, the first one, without a doubt, is Helen Simpley's Best Evidence Synthesis on Professional Development. And I know, Tony, that you found this really, really uh, useful in your research as well. But it really is just a great synthesis of what makes professional development effective. And I actually went on to use the framework of this synthesis uh, to really unpack the rest of the literature that I found because it was, it was so good. Um, a, a nice thing about it too is it's freely accessible. You don't need to, it's nothing you need to go out and buy. Um, there was a, a whole range of fantastic literature that I found, but to answer your question, I want to refer to a book which is called Teach Students How to Learn. And I read this pretty early on in the piece and I didn't really cite it much in the research, but it actually drove my, the direction of my thinking quite a lot. And what I like about it is how relatable it is because it's, it's written from the perspective of a university lecturer, but she um, goes through this whole self-realization process uh, that, that many of us teachers go through when we're learning something like this. So it doesn't jump straight to the end. Mm. And as well as that, it incorporates some really, really nice anecdotes about students and their perspectives, okay, of how their learning changed as a result of some metacognition instruction. And, and it also has some nice little strategies there. So really digestible, a really good read. That's Teach Students How to Learn. So if you were to give some advice, how could a leader, teacher, principal in the classroom today think or implement your, about your findings? Well, if um, school leaders are looking at, at the, the findings of this, I think a, a few things that they could do that would really help uh, are, are around the, the structure of professional development. One of them being uh, affording really explicit time and emphasis on teacher reflection with, with some real concrete structures around that. So rather than, hey, go away and think about it on your drive home and reflect on it, that's saying, hey, look, your reflection, that's not as important as my PowerPoint slides that we're doing for half an hour. Yeah. So it would be really good to see that, that concrete structure in place and that time. And, and a lot of it is also, I think, around building a culture. And we know building or changing a culture in a school is hard and it takes time. But 
it's like that whole, well, you know, how do you eat an elephant? Like you're saying, Tony, you know, one bite at a time. And if we've got that end goal in mind, I think that end goal should be professional development is not an event, but it's part of the fabric of the school. It's part of how we do things. And providing opportunities for teachers to evaluate their own learning can be part of that. And another thing I'd, I'd suggest is having small professional development groups that afford chances for cross-pollination. So in a secondary context, that might look like different levels of experience, different teaching areas, but also different worldviews because we do tend to gravitate towards people with a similar worldview. And that has the same effect as filter bubbles in social media, right? It doesn't actually expose us to enough diversity to really get us thinking critically. So I would definitely suggest those few things. And at, at the individual teacher level, although this would, it could actually apply equally to leaders as well, is establishing peer observations. You know, I've already talked about how professional development and things can be linked to performance, all right, and outcome. Well, if we think about how we discuss our teaching with our peers in the staff room, it's not so much about performance, is it? It's about sharing and being open and vulnerable as a way of bettering each other. So peer observations are a great way of doing that because we're taking the, the structure of the observation and putting it into the environment of uh, a, a culture of learning rather than a culture of performance. Nice. I'd also be saying, ask those hard questions of yourself. You know, don't be scared to ask tough questions like, um, why, why am I doing this? And how, how much am I, am I doing the thinking here versus my students doing the thinking? And asking those questions before, during and after is pretty powerful. I had uh, some really interesting discussions with participants who I'd asked to uh, self-question during their teaching. Now, how often does that happen, right? Not often because you've got a million things going on, <laughs> but if you can make it happen, it, it really is worth its weight in gold. I did have a question actually, slightly off the topic of PD, but more to the metacognition. What were some of the strategies that maybe you guys ended up coming to that you were doing in your PD? Right, well, what was really cool is <clears throat> because teachers had the autonomy in this process to recognize something that might be useful for their particular classes, we ended up doing a few different things. And so we're all under this umbrella of developing our students' metacognition, but we, we tackled it in slightly different ways. So just a few examples of some of the strategies we're using uh, was think alouds, which is a, a protocol where you, as a teacher, you model your thinking as you're working through a problem or something like that and making explicit the errors you make and making explicit the process you're using to complete uh, to fill up that error and then transferring that onto the students. So getting them to do it as well. And that could be in the form of a, a meta commentary whereby they're writing something out perhaps, but next to that, they're also writing, here's what I was thinking. Here's what I found challenging. Here's what I'm thinking I could do to overcome that challenge. Um, a few others, self-questioning, so stopping the students and asking them reflective questions such as how cognitively engaged am I right now? Um, 
what, what do I find interesting about this? And self-recording, so even just instances of staying on task, self-recording uh, instances of being challenged or finding something too easy. Goal setting was a big one that a few used, getting the students to write goals, reflect on progress toward goals, and of course consider, okay, now what? What am I going to do from this point on to achieve my goal? Um, making connections with the text, text-to-self connections, text-to-text connections, and text-to-world connections. You know, just, just answering reflective questions about mm. planning for monitoring and evaluating learning and I guess that feeds nicely back into the goal setting, which again is, is something which is happening quite a lot around the place. And it's really, really awesome to see. I still found it tricky to determine, okay, what actual strategies are going to be really useful? What can we actually do on Monday morning? And I think what I found throughout this process is that a lot of that has to come from the teacher. It comes back to that ownership and if I'd have dumped a whole bunch of uh, concrete strategies onto the teachers, which let's be honest, a lot of the time that's all we want, mm. then, then that can come at the expense of, of ownership. And really we need to be thinking right from the ground up. So, okay, I need to develop these, this sort of metacognitive awareness. Okay. What does that look like? And, right now what is my current program and oh how could I sort of tweak that so I'm not doing an add-on but I'm just repurposing that mm. and then the the tasks and the strategies sort of get born out of that it's that such process. a fine balance and this is you know in my role as a facilitator it's that fine balance between you know giving teachers enough of those concrete things but also allowing them to kind of you know that you don't do all the processing and the work for them because then it doesn't make it authentic and meaningful. It's a really tough balance. Hundred percent. And and I felt like I was treading that line the whole time, and I didn't always get it right, you know. Yeah. And there were times where I definitely should have just provided more concrete stuff, more examples. But you know that this is a big this is a big part of it is is your learning as yourself, right? When you're doing research like this. So what have you got going on at the moment, kind of professionally and professionally? What are your next big things? Well, um, <clears throat> something that I'm really excited about at the moment in my current role is the move that we've taken to a module-based system in our junior school with a real emphasis on developing our competencies. So I've been really enjoying taking a lot of the learning from this research and exploring how to make competencies like self-management and thinking really tangible relevant and and closely tethered to the content and skills of our of our curriculum again you know so it's not an add-on thing so it's just it's it's natural and this looks like developing tasks to foster things like metacognition uh, for use in, in my department and really further exploring that question of how you know we know competencies are important we know what they are. Mm. Do we know how to best develop them in our students? I, th I think that's the question that I'm really passionate about. Yes, yeah, so that's the main one. I'm also really enjoying my role as uh, GIS champion for the region. So that's with my geography hat on. And I would very much like also to get my, uh, continue my Google Innovator project, which sort of stalled a bit due to funding. 
but that's that's on the horizon as well. Um, what was your project? Well, it was very much linked to this research. I'm wanting to develop a Chrome extension that can really capture students' learning in the moment and get them to think about their learning as it's happening, again, rather than just reflecting on it afterwards. And, and having that data used by a learning coach to really tease out some, some meaningful conversations about learning, you know, rather than conversations about content or about the, the hard skills of a lesson. Oh, oh, well, thank you for sharing. And it's been awesome to have you on the show. So thank you for sharing all your insights today. No, most welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. I think that there's far too many theses and pieces of literature that, that sit there gathering virtual dust right on virtual bookshelves. And I think what you guys are doing is fantastic because it's just bringing it out into the open that little bit more. So thank you for your work. Master of Learning.